0: I turn your attention to a passage of Scripture, Mark chapter number 4, and beginning with verse number 35. You can find this in several of the other Gospels as well. After a long day of teaching and ministering, Jesus, as evening came, said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going To drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And this morning, I want to preach to you two questions. Two questions. Let me give you a little context about the Sea of Galilee and storms. Mark describes the storm in our passage as fierce. It's also described as coming suddenly. Such storms we're told our results from differences in temperatures between the sea coast and the mountain that is beyond the sea coast. The Sea of Galilee lies 680 feet below sea level and it is bounded by hills, especially on its east side where those hills can reach 2,000 feet in height. These heights are a source of cool, and dry air. In contrast, directly around the sea, the climate is semi-tropical with warm, moist air. This large difference in height between the surrounding land and the sea causes large temperature and pressure changes. And the results of those changes is that strong winds can drop to the sea, funneling through the hills. The Sea of Galilee is small, relatively speaking, and these winds, because of its size, can descend directly to the center of the lake with violent results. When the contrasting air masses meet, the cool and dry and the warm and moist, when they meet, a storm can arise quickly and without warning. Small boats caught out on the sea are then immediately in danger. The Sea of Galilee is further complicated by the fact that it's relatively shallow, just 200 feet at its greatest depth. And a shallow lake is whipped up by wind more rapidly than deep water, where energy is more readily absorbed. An example that we may know is Lake Erie here in the United States. It's similar to the Sea of Galilee. Even though it is 100 times larger, it has the same depth of 200 feet maximum, the shallowest of the Great Lakes. And Lake Erie is especially well known for these storms that come from this moody member of the Great Lakes system because the west winds easily stir up the shallow waters producing violent waves. And when this happens, even the largest fishing boats, like on the Sea of Galilee, are put at risk. This is the context This is the reality. Out of nowhere comes a storm. The first thing I want us to recognize in this story is that Jesus directed the crossing. It is important for us to recognize this. This was not Peter's idea. This was not James or John's idea. Jesus, after a long day of ministry, said, let's go across. And I'm sure he had a purpose on the other side, but it was not just that purpose. Some questions that I ask, and forgive me, maybe you don't ask these, but I do, but was the storm just a coincidence to Jesus' command? Did Jesus himself know the storm was coming? And the problem with answering these questions is you and I both know that in Jesus we have God who knows everything and we have God as a human who in that way took upon himself limitation. Good morning, Logan. I did not see you either. Is there anybody else I missed? I didn't say Candace either, so let me say hello to Candace. And I don't have any of the kids. And Asher, I'm not greeting you. I see you every week. Love you, buddy. He just gave me a dirty look, but mom didn't see it, so we're good. So I don't know, was the God hat on? Was the human hat on? And we know that that's even wrong language. Theologically speaking, he didn't have two hats. He was one being. And so that's what precipitates, in my mind, these kinds of questions that really are unanswerable. Was it just coincidental, or did Jesus know it was coming? Regardless of the answers to these questions, the third one is important to us. Whether it was just life happening, or whether Jesus was engineering this collision, did it matter to Jesus? And I think the story answers that question. He was sleeping. Let me tell you, it's not a good thing when we're told that we're sleeping on the job. That means we're being delinquent in our duties. That means we're not being present where we're supposed to be. Jesus was clearly not concerned whether he just simply didn't know it was coming in specific or whether he had engineered this collision, this crisis that was about to happen. Either way, Jesus was sleeping. And yes, this is a testimony to his humanity and to his limitations and to what happens after a long day. But it also underlines something else. It underlines that Jesus, though the disciples were having trouble with this, as we will see, Jesus was fully in control. The reason he didn't sit on that boat and worry is there going to be a wind that's going to kick up and funnel down through those hills and strike the center of the lake and pull those waters into turbulence like that. He didn't worry about it. Or if he knew it was coming, if he somehow tapped into his all-knowingness, knew it was coming, he didn't sit there waiting for it to demonstrate his power. No, he got in the boat and he said, well... I got time for a cat nap. My wife hates me because I take cat naps. I either take an hour and a half nap or I take a 20-minute nap. It's got to do with your circadian rhythms and so forth. Well, my wife takes 20 minutes to go to sleep. I don't know what her problem is, but she takes 20 minutes just to go to sleep. It's kind of the way she does all of life, slowly. (laughs) Not me. Down, three minutes, three minutes, I'm out. I just want to cite, Regina, it looks like Jesus is a little bit more like me in this one. (laughs) Maybe only in this one, but in this one, it looks like he is. He's down for the count. He's on a cushion. He's sawing logs. And it's important for you and I to recognize that whether it was simply life happening and some of our crises are just life happening. There's no devil behind it. There's no God behind it. There's not even our own stupidity behind it. It's just the brokenness of our world. Or whether God actually engineered it. And I hate to tell you this, but God engineers crises in our lives. He drives us straight into the teeth of storms. And the reason is, is because he's not concerned. He's not worried. And he's sleeping. Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one tells us gives us a definition of faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is that bridge which connects us with the invisible hoped for. Reality. You can't see it, and all you can do is hope for it. Then verse 6 tells us of this same chapter in Hebrews that it's impossible to please God without this bridge, without this faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists, And that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Two things. Everything else, there's a lot more that we believe, but everything else that we believe emanates from these two foundational pieces. If we are going to please God, we're going to have to believe that he exists. And we're going to have to believe that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You see, in this storm, God knows who he is and has no trouble believing in himself. Jesus was not having a crisis of identity. When he got onto that boat, he wasn't worried like Regina would be or I would be about the water. And do I have my fins? And do I have my snorkel gear so I can breathe? And what's going to happen? Is this boat seaworthy? And and, and has everything been checked out? Now, Jesus is not worried because he has no problem. God, whether in the flesh or in the spirit, God knows who he is. And he has no trouble believing in himself. Not knowing who we are and having trouble believing in ourselves is a human problem. It's not a God problem. God doesn't have a crisis of identity and He doesn't have a crisis of faith. The disciples, you and I, however, are in a different place because the disciples are in a crisis of faith and are very afraid. They are not sleeping. They are not confident. Despite even some human expertise, let me just do a little side note here. If you think you can study your way to a place of confidence or you think you can prepare your way to a place of confidence, can I just break some news to you? The more you raise your ability, the greater the storm you will then be driven into by our master. You cannot prepare your way out of this crisis of faith. You cannot prepare your way out of this crisis. And in their fear, they begin to question the intentions of Jesus. Let me remind you of verse 38 of Mark chapter 4. The disciples woke him up shouting, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Aren't you tuned in? Don't you care? Don't we matter? What are you doing? And I don't know about you, but I find myself at times doing the exact same thing. Because circumstances of faith, things hoped for that cannot yet be seen, We'll always test our trust regarding whether God really rewards those who seek him. You see, he is a king. You see, he can do whatever he wants to do. You see, we have plenty of examples where it looks like he's not rewarding us. And yet the scripture right alongside all of those testimonies of faithfulness still says if you're going to please God, you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to believe. And there's two bedrock beliefs. Number one, he is. Number two, he rewards those who seek him. Even when the circumstances don't look like it, he still rewards those who seek him. Even when the problems pile up and it looks like he's abandoned us, he still rewards those who seek him. Even when death takes our life, we still go to that death believing that he rewards those who seek him. Without this, you cannot, please... So the circumstances of faith, things we hope for that are not yet seen, will always test our trust. And it did in these disciples' lives as well. They begin to shout at Jesus, relatively newly their master, not a long relationship. The long relationships, you can shout a little bit more. You got a little bit more, you know, skin in the game. You get a little bit more intense about it. They barely know Jesus. Master, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Upon waking, Jesus demonstrates that he's in control by stilling the storm. And this is usually why we use this passage. This is usually where we draw our attention to. The miraculous power of God to still the wind and to calm the sea. And the scripture describes that it was instantaneous. This was not just a cessation of the storm. Because when you whip up water, you can take away the source of the whipping. And it stays agitated for quite some time afterwards. But the scripture says that instantaneously the source of the agitation was gone. As well as the effects of the agitation were gone. That's a sermon. One of you preachers out there should grab it, write it down in your little notebook and go (laughs) preach it. There's enough of you here. Write it down. But then, then he asked two questions. And this brings me to the primary focus this morning. I even drop off the end of the pericope so as not to distract us from these two questions. Question number one. Why? Why? Are you afraid? Now again, you've got to remember that this is God present in the flesh. So we many times we read that and we go, well, he knew and he's just being rhetorical. And we lose the sense of the question. But this is God in the flesh. This is God born a human. And in that sense, I believe there's a a feeling of angst on his part. A feeling of puzzlement and and bewilderment. God genuinely wants to know this morning, in the midst of our storms, why are you afraid? And I know my response would be Are you serious? You're serious. And the problem is, is that Jesus asks these questions after he demonstrates the resolution of the crisis. He has spoken, peace be still, and the waves have calmed and the wind has stopped. But I believe this question drives all the way back to the beginning. Why, if I am with you, are you afraid? And see, if we listen to this as coming from the voice of God as opposed to the voice of God in humanity, we can quickly move past this question. We can see it as a rhetorical device for Jesus to once again masterfully teach us. But I believe this morning, and I've been sent here to challenge you, he genuinely wants to know why are you afraid? The second question drives to the core. Do you still have no faith? Still? And while I could argue with Jesus that at least according to the Markan narrative, maybe they haven't had enough time yet for the word still, you and I, can hear this question and receive it with all of its force. Still? After all of the testimony of the Old and the New Testament and after all of our own testimonies of God's provision and His presence and His faithfulness and His miracle working and the signs and wonders following us who believe, how do we still find ourselves No faith. You see, the first question addressing fear is directly related to our struggle with faith. If we really believe there is a God who exists, and if in that moment we believe that He rewards those who diligently seek Him, ladies and gentlemen, We may go through trials and troubles, we may go through suffering, but there is absolutely no need To fear. This is why the scriptures say God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. There is no need for fear. There is no need for fear of loss of money. There is no need for fear of loss of livelihood. There is no need for fear of loss of life or limb because our God rewards those who sincerely, diligently seek him. When we are afraid, it is because we are struggling to believe. By the way, this is a side note. When you find yourself afraid of other humans, it's because you're struggling to believe in them. And unlike God, No human is worthy of our belief. But because of your God, you have the power to extend to the untrustworthy trust. You as a Christian have the ability to put faith in those who do not deserve that faith. Every single one of us who came to God and has experienced his redemption power, it started with somebody believing not in what we were, not in what could be seen, not in how we were operating, but they believed in that which was not yet seen, hoping for what Christ could do in their lives. When you are afraid of a human being, it's a faith crisis. It's a little more complicated to fix it because humans are not worthy of our faith, but it's the same principle when we're afraid It's because we're having a faith crisis about God. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? As the Lord over this past week directed my attention to this passage, a passage that I know well from Bible quizzing, it was the first year that I actually memorized the entire material. I know this story well. Mark is still, despite being a Lucan scholar, Mark is still my default because I memorized Mark. I was laying in my bed as I remember it. It was late at night, which is when a lot of my ideas come. My children asked me recently, why do you get so many ideas at night? I said, I don't know, but that's when they come. That's why I don't think I'm a slacker and don't feel bad of me if I don't like you at 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 o'clock in the morning. Because some of you literally are rising as I fall asleep. So you're just going to have to work with me. I tried to change it earlier. It doesn't work. So I'm just going to go with it. I lay there in my bed, my wife most likely asleep beside me, And I heard the voice of my father. You see, I'm a father. My wife with me is is their mother and we love our children. We're gonna love the day that they are adults and can run their own lives. But we have for the last 20 years, every major decision has been made revolving around the life of my five children. I have nothing but good planned for them. I have nothing but the best for them. And I am a flawed human father. And I just sense in the humanity of God made flesh, in these two questions, An emotional articulation. Why are you afraid? Do you not know who I am? Do you not understand that everything, even in its broken state, came from me? I spoke it into existence. I maintain it. It still operates by my will and my power. Don't you realize? You are my child. Jesus looking at these disciples. These disciples that he through faith, was going to leave the gospel in the hands of. That's a scary sight. You read the gospel story, these guys were not prepared. That's why you need to understand if you're looking for everybody who preaches and teaches to you to have it all together, I'm sorry. Jesus didn't expect it and neither do I. Even of myself. I'm getting myself into spots these days that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm doing well. I don't know if I'm doing, I don't know if I'm botching things. I don't know if they're going right or wrong. Jesus didn't seem to be bothered by that because if he can leave the gospel in the mouth of Peter, if he can leave the gospel in the hands of the sons of thunder, I mean, you talk about needing anger management classes. Jesus. Give me the go. I'll bring a missile down on them. Fire from heaven. Burn them up. No, John, I came to save them, not burn them. (laughs) We could go on and on. So many of them are so broken and so flawed, just like us. Jesus didn't seem to be concerned about that. So with hope in his eyes, and with faith in what they were going to become by the power of his spirit, he looks at these men. Why? This morning I've been sent to ask you, to ask myself, why are you afraid? Do do you still... They just stole my thunder. Do you still have no faith? The musicians would come. I'm closing. I'm arguing to you this morning that it could be said that God is genuinely perplexed by our fear and deeply desires for us to believe in him. Like a parent who conceives and births and feeds and nurtures and grows and equips a child for life as an adult. Our creator, our father and our mother that we've been learning about in our small groups, loves us with an unending love. His mercies are new every single morning. And he desires for us to love him back and to trust him. He certainly knows your struggles, and he certainly knows the source of your struggles. But I am this morning been sent to challenge you as in the late night I was challenged by his presence, that he is also perplexed with why we do not, in those moments of crisis, choose. To believe him. You can't control what you feel. But God has given us the power of choice. Humans are amazing. We choose to run into burning buildings to save others. We choose to throw our bodies in harm's way in order to save someone that we believe in protecting. Mothers and fathers spend inordinate amounts of time and money on ungrateful bratty kids. Leeches who suck the very life out of you (laughs) in the hope of something not yet seen that they will grow to adulthood and change our world. We choose that. Don't tell me you feel that. Yeah, I know that one moment right after the baby's born. and and No, but that moment goes out the window really, really, really fast. And I love my children desperately, but they're leeches. It's never enough. And I choose to believe that someday... It's choice. It's not emotion. It's not reality. It's choice. And God is asking us today Do you not remember I made this world? Do you not remember that I made you? You are my image and you are my likeness. Do you really think I am not in control? Do you not believe that I will provide a way of escape in a place of harm and jeopardy? You are my child. Will you not choose to believe that I am? Will you not choose to believe that I reward those who seek me? The perplexed voice of our Creator is calling to you and to me today. Why are you Afraid? Do you still have no faith? I am with you. Even when silent, I am with you. When it feels like I am sleeping, I am still with you. Do not be afraid. Believe. This altar's open and I'm done. Would you come? Would you reach out to him right now and let him take this where it needs to go? Would you give him the opportunity to bring this home to your particular circumstance? And Newark UPC collectively, we've got to hear this voice of God for us. Why are you afraid? Do you still not believe me? Jesus, I love you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship you, Lord.